Welcome to the First Baptist Church Brunswick podcast. Join us as we desire to lead people into a deep and thriving relationship with Jesus Christ. We give a hand clap of praise to the Father in heaven, our God who is good, who has been faithful all of our days and all of our lives. Thank you so much. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I'm sure that you do, would you take them out and go to the New Testament book of Philippians? Philippians chapter 4 is where we are uh, today on this Sunday before Thanksgiving. I trust everyone here is ready to eat some turkey and pumpkin pie. Amen? I know that, that I am. Uh, I came across a story uh, not too long ago about a young boy and his family who were, who were having Thanksgiving dinner at his grandmother's house, and uh, everybody gathered around the table, the food was served, and the young boy just began to eat as fast as he could. And the mom looked at the young boy, and only in the tone of a mother, moms, you know what I'm talking about? She said, you don't eat until we pray. And the young boy looked at his mom and, so, and said, well, well, I do. Moms. And the mom said, well, son, you know, before we eat at our house, we always pray. And the young boy said, well, mom, that's at our house. This is grandma's house, and she knows how to cook. That's pretty good, isn't it? Well, I pray that whoever's cooking at your house knows how to cook, all right? But Philippians chapter 4, 10 through 13, as we are nearing the end of our series on the book of Philippians, simply titled Joyful, How to Live a Joyful Life in a Joyless World. Uh, we will conclude uh, this sermon series next uh, next Sunday, but but last night after uh, spending the day at the RSM uh, golf tournament with my family and then uh, participating or attending a wedding yesterday uh, afternoon, I planned on my Saturday to be a, a fairly uh, restful uh, afternoon and evening. My message was done and I was excited to watch my beloved Texas Tech Red Raiders. Well, they severely disappointed me last night, um, but but before that, in only the way that God can so often do, he said, I want you to do something different. And you know how that works, right? God, you don't understand. I've already got something else planned. And God just smiles at you and says, well, I just, I would prefer you to go this direction. I was preparing to speak on joy comes from God's provision, which is 100% true, Amen. God is a provider, and we know that uh, one of the names of God, which comes from the Old Testament, the name is Jehovah Jireh, God who provides. And some of you who are familiar with Old Testament history or uh, the readings of the Old Testament, you may be familiar with that Abraham story where, where Jehovah Jireh comes from. Some of you who maybe you're new to the faith or not really sure about the faith and don't maybe fully understand the Old Testament, that's fine. But let me tell you a little bit about where this name Jehovah Jireh uh, comes from. Jehovah Jireh means God will provide, but it, but it comes from one of the greatest stories in the Old Testament. 
It's when Abraham, whom God has already said, you are going to be the father of many nations, but I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to give you a promised son. And so uh, Abraham and his wife end up having this promised son by the name of Isaac. And as the years progress, God actually tells Abraham one of, one of the strangest things in all of Scripture. He says, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your promised son, and I want you to sacrifice him to me. That's pretty odd, isn't it? But here's what's amazing about Abraham. The Scripture says the next morning he obeyed. He obeyed God. The next morning, he gets all of the belongings together, packs the wood, gets the knife, and he and his beloved son, his promised son Isaac, they make the trek to Mount Moriah, which is where God said, you are to have this sacrifice, this burnt offering. Um, well, on the way to this burnt offering, Isaac looks at his dad and says this, Dad, where's the lamb that we are going to sacrifice? In Abraham, in all of his wisdom, in all of his faith, in all of his obedience, but I'm sure with trembling knees, said these words to his son, son, my God will provide. He says, my God will provide. And they kept on trekking up to Mount Moriah. Well, they get to the top of Mount Moriah, and there uh, uh, Abraham, he, he gathers all of the wood, he builds the altar, and there he puts his son on the altar. And Scripture says that Abraham raised the knife to sacrifice his son. And then, Scripture says, and then Abraham turns because he hears some rustling and he sees a ram caught in the bushes. And he goes over and he takes the ram, takes his son Isaac off the offering, and he sacrifices the lamb. And after he sacrifices this lamb, this burnt offering, Abraham says, my God will provide. My God will provide. And the moral of that story, the great picture of that story is this, that no matter your circumstances, no matter your situations, when you obey God, know this, God will always provide. Amen? So God is a provider. God is Jehovah Jireh. Well, I just gave you the message I was going to preach anyways right there in about three minutes. Let's close in prayer. No, I've got 45 more minutes to go. 55. But yesterday afternoon, as I was preparing, just going over my notes in preparation for today, I, I just sensed the Spirit just come up to me and, and talk with me and, and, and share with me that, you know, Chris, let, let's our church just take a moment to be grateful. We're coming upon Thanksgiving, we're coming upon a Christmas season. Um, you know, it's one of the greatest times of the year, but, but I, I just sense the Spirit lead and say, Chris, let's take some moment, let's take, let's take some time to be grateful. I'm so appreciative of what Josh said just a few minutes ago about texting your friend, right? He had no idea that I was going to be changing my message to be talking about this. So that's pretty cool, right? And so as, as I began to interact with the Spirit, interact with the Lord, and you know how this works. Um, I just began to think, okay, God, why do, you, why, do I, why do you want me to change this? And just a couple of reasons um, that, that, that I believe. Number one, and I think you'd all be in agreement with this, our country is the most divided I have ever seen in my life. Amen? 
we're divided. To vaccine or not to vaccine, that is the question. To mandate or not mandate, that is a great question. Our country is divided. And here's the sad thing, church, is that this division is not only taking place in our country, Democrats, Republicans, but it's also dividing churches. Would you be in agreement with that? Believers are turning against believers over a vaccine, over a, a man. And we all have different reasons, have different thoughts, and I, but, but division, but but it was as if, as I was reading our text, Philippians 4, 10 through 13, it was a reminder to me, and then this is where we'll be going, that, that the way to overcome division is to be grateful, to be thankful. You know, thankfulness will always overcome division. Being thankful for something will always uh, bring, bring some type of unity between you and another party. Let's just be thankful. We have great reasons to celebrate, to be thankful. We live in still what I believe the greatest country in the world. Amen? We have freedoms. However, they may be limited or being limited, we still have freedoms that we can worship um, without fear of somebody coming knocking on our church doors or taking the pastor away. Amen? I'm grateful for that. We have reasons to be thankful, but, but thankfulness is overgoing, will overcome our division. Another reason why we, I want to talk about um, a, a thankfulness this morning is because of this. People are increasingly becoming more and more discontented. Amen? Discontent is the spirit of the world. If you don't like something, just post it on social media and start calling people names. That's the theme of the world today. Amen? That's just the theme. And people are getting more and more discontented. There is less satisfaction. Um, advertisements are based upon creating discontent. And so you see this over and over and over that discontent is the, is the spirit of the world. And again, I say this to the church, that is increasing within the church. Discontent. Well, I don't I don't like, I don't want, I want, I want, it's discontent. It's the spirit of the world right now is discontent. And the third reason why I want us to talk about uh, thankfulness is because of this. In Philippians 4, 10 through 13, Paul finally comes to the reason why he's writing this letter. He finally gets to the point of really why he's writing to the church in Philippi. And the reason he's writing to the church at Philippi is simply this. The book of Philippians is a great thank you note. It is a thank you note from Paul to the church in Philippi because um, history teaches, scripture teaches us that the church in Philippi had sent a financial gift to Paul while he was on his missionary journeys. Now, if you remember, Paul had started this church 10 years earlier. But now some time had passed since they had started the church, and now they have sent him a gift, a financial gift, to encourage him, to equip him, to keep him motivated, to keep sharing the gospel. And out of response to that, Paul says, I'm going to write you a thank you note. I am going to write you a thank you note. And so I titled today's message, A Joyful Life, which is a theme of the book of Philippians, A Joyful Life is a Thankful Life. Would you say that with me? A joyful life is a thankful life. Now this time I want you to say it with joy. 
Okay, so the first step is just smile and say it together on the count of three. One, two, three. A joyful life is a thankful life. Look at verses 10 through 13. As Paul gives us the example of a thankful life, look at verse number 10. Verse number 10, Paul says this, but I rejoiced. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you, church, you Philippians, at last you have now revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, although you lacked opportunity. Here's the first thing we see about a thankful life, um, which really is the joyful life. Number one, write this down. A thankful life begins with appreciation. A thankful life begins with appreciation. Here in verse number 10, which is really the crux of the entire book, Paul is sharing his appreciation with this church that he started 10 years earlier that is now uh, giving him an offering. He is saying to them, thank you, thank you, thank you. He's saying, I appreciate you. He's saying, you have supported me financially. You have encouraged me with this gift. And now he's saying, I'm writing back to you to show you how much I appreciate you. I appreciate you. Thank you. Now, I'll be honest, a little self-disclosure here, but um, Paul writing a thank you note convicts me. Paul writing a thank you note convicts me because, again, in all honesty and transparency, I am not the greatest at writing thank you notes. I'm not the greatest. Um, I can improve in that area, but Thank you notes have always stressed me out. Anybody with me? Please make me feel better. Please make me feel better. It may be a man thing, and that's quite possible, but it may not always be. But thank you notes have always stressed me out. I remember in high school, graduating from high school, and you get all of these gifts, right? You get all these great gifts and wonderful and towels from your, for your dorm room and, and stuff that you'll never use again, but... but you get all these thank you notes, and I remember as a graduate from high school, and I get all these gifts, and my mom walks into my room one day with a stack of thank you notes. And says, get writing, son. And so I start writing one or two, but then I fell asleep. I woke back up, and I said, well, I'll do it tomorrow. Anybody with me? Well... I may or may not have finished writing all of those thank you notes, you know, because they stressed me out. When Angela and I got married and we received gifts, I was stressed out about writing all those thank you notes, but then I remembered, I got a wife, yes, maybe not. But it stressed me out. I remember when we had, when we had, uh, when we had kids and people would give you these, these gifts and you're grateful for them, right? You're grateful for you need those gifts and you're thankful for them. But, but I was stressed out. I'm going, how in the world am I going to write a paragraph of thank you for explaining how I'm going to use the birth cloth that you just gave me, right? You know, the, how do you do that? Thank you. I'll birth my child. Thank you. I appreciate it. I mean, thank you notes. Thank you notes have always They've stressed me out, not because I'm not appreciative, but sometimes I just don't take that next step. Anybody with me? Paul takes the next step. Paul takes the next step. Yes, he was appreciative, but now he wants to communicate it. Now he wants to tell the church, thank you for what you're doing for me. 
Thank you so much. And so, so church, I want to let you know that thankfulness, a life of thankfulness, um, which, which I really believe is the victorious life, a thankful life is a victorious life, a life of thankfulness actually begins with appreciation. It begins with appreciation. Look back at verse number 10. Paul says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. Why did he rejoice greatly in the Lord? One, they've given financially. Look down at verse number 14. Paul says this, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. Paul is saying, I appreciate you. You have helped me financially, but also you have stood side by side with me as I've shared the gospel. Thank you for your effort. Thank you for coming along beside me. Thank you for that. And now who in your life, and again, Josh has alluded to this already this morning, but who in your life do you need to say thank you? Who in your life maybe have you been taking for granted? You say, well, you know, pastor, there are some people and, you know, I really haven't been appreciative of them because what they did for me, it just really wasn't good work. The product wasn't good. Well, Paul's not talking about the product. All Paul is talking about is, I want to tell you how much I appreciate you. You see, thankfulness, a thankful life, which is a joyful life. Paul is joyful. He's thankful. And here he gives an example of, it begins with us being appreciative of what people have done for us. Well, how do you express appreciation? How do you do that? Here's, here's a couple of things that, uh, that I, I, I found from a commentary um, yesterday about how can you express appreciation. You, I, I want you to write this down because I think this is good, and you can use this uh, this week. How do you express appreciation to somebody? Number one, just be real with, be real with them. Speak from the heart. Speak honest truths. We don't want to flatter people. Flattery, the Bible actually says flattery is, is a sin. But, but, when you, but when you appreciate somebody, uh, when you praise them, you thank them, here's what you do. You thank them for something that they have done that they have control over. Does that make sense? A character trait. And you say, man, I appreciate you because you have done such and such or I see such and such in you. That's acknowledgement. That's appreciation. Flattery is when you say to somebody, um, hey, I see, I see this in you, but it's something that you haven't done. Like, you say this, you can't say to somebody, I appreciate you for your good looks. Husbands, that may work with your wife. Right? I appreciate you, but listen, good looks, that's not a lot of things that we have a lot of control over. Are you with me? Sometimes you have it, sometimes you don't, but we don't want to flatter people. Are you with me? Look at your neighbor and say, I think I get it. Do you, are, are you with me? I feel like I lost you there for a second. Are you with me? So you be real. Just be honest with them and say, you know what, can I, can I tell you what, what, what I appreciate about you? You did and you fill in the blank. And you say, thank you. So you be real. Number two is this. Uh, you make sure the appreciation is recognizable. Meaning this, when you speak to people, make sure they understand what you're telling them. That they know exactly what you are telling them. I've taken a lot of classes in uh, preaching, and one of the things they tell you in preaching is, is this. Uh, tell them what you want to tell them, and you keep telling them what you want to tell them. 
because you want them to get what you have to say. And so speak, speak words that they fully understand. You're honest, you're real. You're, speak words that are recognizable. And then number three, and this is probably one of my favorite, is this. Be regular in giving words of appreciation. Isn't that good? Be regular in giving words of appreciation. Meaning this is a lifestyle. I mean, the Bible says already that we need to give thanks in all circumstances. Paul has already given us a command in the New Testament that we are to give thanks in all circumstances, that we need to be appreciative in all circumstances. And so it needs to be a part of our regular vocabulary. Uh, the writer of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27 and 28 says this. And I love this verse. It says, when it is in your power, don't withhold good from the one to whom it belongs. Don't say to your neighbor, go away, come back later, I'll give it to you tomorrow when it is there with you. Meaning when you see something, man, speak it. Be thankful. And you speak the words of appreciation right then and right there when you have the moment. One commentator said this, you know, a single rose is better to give to your wife today than the most expensive wreath at a funeral. Some guys think the only times you give flowers is when you marry and bury. That's a pretty good word right there, isn't it? So when you have the opportunity, church, when you have the opportunity, when it's in your power, you speak words that are of appreciation. And Paul, here in verse 10, shows us that he is the master appreciator. So a thankful life begins with appreciation. Here's number two. A thankful life opens the door to a life of satisfaction. Thankfulness, a life of thankfulness, it opens the door to a life of satisfaction. Look at verses 11 and 12. Paul says, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means and also know how to live in prosperity. In and every circumstances, in any and every circumstance, I have learned this secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. In verse number 11, I want you to underline the phrase, I have learned. Look at verse number 12. Underline the phrase, I have learned. Do you see a pattern? Do you see a pattern? Paul, two times in this text, says, I have learned. I have learned something. What has Paul learned? This is what Paul, possibly the greatest uh, Christian, the greatest missionary that we could uh, think of, Paul says this, I learned something. And Paul says to the church in Philippi, I learned how to be content. I learned how to be content. Uh, that Greek word content is this, a tar case. A tar case, which means this, it means to be self-sufficient because you are completely satisfied. You're completely satisfied. Paul says, I had to learn how to be completely satisfied. I had to learn how to be content. I think a lot of people don't understand the word content. I think they have a misunderstanding of, of what it means. I think a lot of people think that uh, content means I have no ambition or, or I am just uh, lazy. No, I, I, don't, I don't think that's what content means because Paul, who wrote this book, who, who is probably the most ambitious man to ever live. Think about Paul. 
Paul started this church. He was a, Paul was a church planter before, before church planters were cool. He loved church planting. Paul takes the gospel across the entire Roman Empire. Paul, unafraid to share the gospel with whomever, whenever the time was necessary, he was going to do it. Paul is the most ambitious man that we find here in Scripture. So I don't think contentment is a lack of ambition. I mean, Paul's ambitious. You can be ambitious and still be content. So I don't believe that contentment has really anything to do with with ambition. Contentment is not lazy. It's not apathy. It's not complacency. It's, It's not lacking ambition. Here's what I believe contentment is. Contentment is this. It's enjoying what I have right now rather than waiting for something else to happen in order for me to be happy. Contentment is enjoying what you have now, enjoying everything that God has given you now, rather than waiting for something to come around the corner that you think is going to make you happy. Does that make sense? It means you enjoy what you have now. It means you are completely satisfied. It means you enjoy what God has given you now. It doesn't mean you don't want progress. It doesn't mean you need to keep moving forward. It doesn't mean you don't have goals. It just means right now, at this moment, man, I'm completely satisfied. And Paul says to the church in Philippi, he says, man, I'm so grateful for what you've done for me, but let me tell you what I've had to learn. I've had to learn how to be satisfied in any and every situation. I've had to learn to be satisfied uh, in, in want when I didn't have anything, but I've also had to learn how to be satisfied with plenty. And Paul says, I had to learn this contentment. Contentment is a godly characteristic trait, and it is not natural. It's supernatural. You and I, we have to learn how to be content with things. And we live in a world that feasts on our discontent. Amen? It feasts on our discontent. You look at what somebody else has. Well, I I want that because I don't have that, and since I don't have that, I'm not satisfied. How many of y'all remember, I I don't know if you'll remember or not, but I I like this movie. How many of you remember the movie Cool Runnings? Six of you. Awesome. (laughs) It's a great movie. It's a clean movie. It's a clean movie. Um, cool Runnings, um, I guess is in the 90s, I suppose, is when it was, took place. I'm so old. And, uh, <laughs> but Cool Runnings is based upon a true story of the Jamaican bobsled team. It makes perfect sense, right? The Jamaican bobsled team. Um, so true stories, it follows them to um, the Olympics in, in Canada one, one year, and in the movie Cool Runnings, the coach of the Jamaican bobsled team is the actor John Candy. You may, you may remember him. But, but the story is this, that John Candy, uh, the coach of the Jamaican bobsled team, um, was known to be a cheater. He cheated his way so that he could win a gold medal. And so it comes to kind of like the highlight point of the movie, and John Candy is with the, the four Jamaican bobsled team members, and he's talking about them, he's talking about a story, how, how he was doing everything he can to get the gold medal, and, and, and he was just telling them all this story, but he said this great phrase, he said this, he said, guys, I'm going to tell you something, if you aren't happy without a gold medal, you will never be happy with a gold medal. Amen. That fell flat. Yes. God, I thought I was supposed to change this message, but that fell flat. Awesome. 
If you're not happy now, something coming into your life now is not going to change that happiness. Listen, if you're, if you're single, if you're single, if you are not content before you're married, you will not be content after you're married. Listen, we live in a world that says if you're single, well, you've got to find your soulmate who completes you. Can I tell you something? That's not a biblical statement. That's not a biblical statement. Your spouse will not complete you. They compliment you, but they never complete you. Your satisfaction and your content is never to be placed in another individual or into any other circumstance. If your contentment, if your satisfaction is dependent upon what something, something going to happen to you, you're going to miss the boat. And so if you're single, find contentment now. Be satisfied now. Celebrate being single. Enjoy the moment. Live for God. Live for Christ. Be pure. But find contentment in Christ. Don't find contentment in any other thing. Turn over with me to Matthew chapter 5. Go with me to Matthew chapter 5. Listen, this is, this is Jesus speaking. Um, this is his first recorded message um, when he begins his ministry. This is the Beatitudes. Um, and Jesus is sharing. And this is, what the, this is what a follower of Christ looks like. This is if you, if you want to follow me, this is what your life is going to look like. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, Jesus tells us how to be satisfied, how to be content, how to, how to live a life. You go, you know what? I, I am satisfied. satisfied. Verses Verse 6, chapter 5, verse 6, Jesus said this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be, what's that next word? Satisfied. What's the key to satisfaction? It's hungering and thirsting for righteousness that is only found in Christ Jesus. And are you guys with me this morning? Are you with me? The only way you'll find satisfaction is in Jesus Christ. When you hunger and you thirst for righteousness, that's the way you find satisfaction. It's not found in sports. It's not found in money. It's not found in relationships. It's not found in the car you drive, the house you live in. It's not found in any of those things. Jesus said, you want to be satisfied. You want to be satisfied. You do that. You do it by, by hungering and you thirsting after me. And that's where you're going to find your satisfaction. And folks, we are living in a world that is so desperate for satisfaction. And our world is an ungrateful world. It is an unthankful world. And our world is a discontented world. And Paul says in Philippians chapter 4 that if you want to find some type of satisfaction, it's this. You have to begin by being thankful. That you be thankful in the current situation that you are in. If you're in a season of plenty, God thank you. If you're in a season of want, say, God, thank you. Because you're not going to find satisfaction in anything outside of Jesus Christ. And one of the things that I pray for our church, and I pray this on a consistent basis, is that each one of us who are members of this church or are connected with this church that you would learn to find your satisfaction only in Christ and Christ alone. And that your satisfaction is not dependent on what certain, whether certain things happen or not. 
whether you think they should happen, whether they not, whether they don't happen, or you have your ideas or your opinion. No, 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 no. I mean, go to Christ. Is Christ glorified here on Sunday mornings? Yes, then praise God. If there's moments where it doesn't happen, you go, man, I really missed that, but I'm going to come back next Sunday because you know what? I'm going to worship. I'm going to praise God. I'm going to sit with my uh, fellow believers, my friends, my accountability group, and I'm going to come back as the body of Christ because there I'm going to find fulfillment, and that's where I'm going to find satisfaction. Here's number three. So number one, thankfulness begins with appreciation. Number two, uh, thankfulness opens the door to a life of satisfaction. And number three, which really dovetails in what I just mentioned, a thankful life can only be accomplished with the right connection. It can only be accomplished with the right connection. Philippians 4.13, one of the most famous verses in all of Scripture. I can do all things through Christ who does what? Who strengthens me. That Greek word for strengthen, the root word is dunamis. Power, dynamite. And Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And the way the Greek word is used and the way it's formulated, it literally means it is somebody is pouring something else into you. It is meaning something from outside of you has got to be, be poured into you in order to do all things. And Paul says, uh, this this. Power is this person named Jesus Christ. And here's, this is one of my favorite verses of all time, but, but can I tell you, it's also one of the most misabused or abused, the most abused passage in all of Scripture. This Scripture is used out of context so many times. Amen? It is so out of context. So many times we use this as, uh, you know, running, uh, rubbing the lamp, the genie's lamp. Oh, God, uh, I want to be a billionaire because I can do all things through Christ that gives me strength. Are you with me? And we use it out of context. Context tells you what to believe here in, in, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, what is... Or what are the all things that Paul is referencing? Listen, anytime you do, um, anytime you study scripture, context is the king. Context gives you clue as to what, it, what you are to believe and what scripture is trying to tell you. So whenever you read a scripture, don't read a scripture by itself and take it out of context and apply it to any and every situation. That scripture was written within context. So Paul says, I can do all things. What has Paul just written about in verses 11 and 12? He has written about circumstances. He has, said, he has said, I can do all things, which means I can, I can do all things, which means I can go without. And Paul, in the book of Acts, tells times, tells the story of the time that he's been shipwrecked and he's been floating in the ocean, and, but he survived and he can do all things. I can go through that through Christ or with Christ because he strengthens me. Then Paul tells, you know, but I can live in plenty. Why? Because Paul had plenty and he says, you know, I can do that uh, through him who gives me strength. And so Paul is referencing you and I can go through what ever comes our way because Christ is the one who strengthens us. Man, I don't know if y'all are with me this morning. I really don't know. But I know this, that if you are not living a life of thankfulness, 
I have to ask the question, are you connected to the right power source? Are you connected to Christ? Are you connected to Christ? Listen, a thankful life, a thankful life, because you've got to be appreciative of other people and other things in your life. When you're thankful, it opens the door to being satisfied, but all of this can only be accomplished when you're connected to the right power source. This verse, Philippians 4.13, does not give you permission to do whatever you want to do because Christ is going to strengthen me. That's not the context. The context is this. Circumstances have no hold on me. So whatever you're going through, you're going through a difficulty, you're going through a diagnosis, you're going through some drama. There's another D that I can think of. If you're going through a death in your family, here's what Paul says. You can make it through that situation. You can make it through that situation if you're connected to Christ. And so we are to allow Christ to pour into us. I remember, I remember a story. I, I don't remember where I studied this, but as I was reflecting yesterday, this story came across my mind. It's a story of a pastor who's preaching on Philippians 4.13, and he, he wants to share it with a children's sermon. And so he asked all the children to come forward, but he's trying to figure out how he's going to explain, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And so his church, I, I picture in my mind, <clears throat> it's probably like ours, had aisles. And, uh, and so he said, I, I got a way I can explain this to children. So he got the children. He said, children, I want you to, I want you to stand right here. So he had all the children stand right here. And he said, I want each of you, one at a time, to try to jump across the aisle and get to the, to the, to the other pews. And he knew that a child could not do that. It was just, the gap was too far, it's too wide. They couldn't physically do it. And so one by one, the children jump over and, and they can't do it. One by one, they can't do it, and they, 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 they don't, so they're all laughing and laughing. And he gets to the last girl. And he says to the girl, he gets by the girl, and he says, now listen, on the count of three, I want you to jump. So all the kids are laughing, you know. And the girl says, okay. And you can hear her go, one, two, three. And when she said three and she jumped, the pastor ran behind her, grabbed her underneath her armpits, and carried her over across the other side. And the pastor said, you did it. You did it. You made it across. And all the kids, no, 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 no. She didn't do it. You carried her. And the pastor said, and that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for us. You and I, we cannot cross the chasm on our own. We need somebody to carry us. And that's the power that you and I need to connect with the power of Jesus Christ. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You no, know, church, we can't jump 
We can't jump out of sin in our own strength. We need Jesus to carry us out of our sin. We can't jump out of our fears or our frustrations or our struggles. We can't jump out of it or jump across of it by ourselves, but we need the power of Jesus to carry us through. You and I cannot jump into a life of thankfulness on our own. We need the power of Jesus to carry us through. So why don't you let Jesus carry you? Pour into Jesus. Pour into Jesus. Allow him to fill you with his power and with his strength. Paul wrote in Colossians 1:27, it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Galatians 2:20. for I have been crucified with the Christ and I no longer live, but it's Jesus Christ who now lives in me. Listen, if you have never given your life to Christ, here's what I ask you to do. I ask you today, to repent of your sins and to give your life to Jesus Christ and allow him to carry you to where he wants you to be. If you've given your life to Christ, then here's what I ask you to do, that you allow Christ to carry you to live a life of thankfulness, which is the joyful life, which is ultimately the victorious life. Church, we ought to be and we need to be the most thankful and the most joyful and the most victorious people on the planet. Amen? Let's be that place. Let's allow Jesus to carry us across. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would truly be the source of our strength. You would be our power. And you would guide us through to what you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.